Father God, we again were humbled when we just stopped to consider that you've asked us who were sinners of, of the Gentiles, really just uh, uh, cut off from from everything that relates to righteousness and truth, and yet you drew us by the word of the truth of the gospel, the good news of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ and through faith in him and his finished work. Uh, Father, thank you so much for opening our eyes and um, then guiding us after that into your word uh, and opening it before us page by page and uh, teaching by teaching. Father, I just pray that that would continue today as we gather here uh, in this meeting using this uh, technology that's been provided. Father, I, I just thank you for everything, for all things. You've asked us to come boldly, but, but only to make our requests known after Thanksgiving. So, Father, I thank you for all things. I thank you that we know that you're the one who's sovereign. We do not pull strings, as it were, somehow controlling you. Uh, no, this is not the nature of prayer to control you who are completely sovereign. And, of course, uh, also we keep in mind that you told us very clearly that you're working all things together for our good. So that certainly tempers our requests and our our, uh, our prayers uh, to realize that you're always doing that and that we are in the very center of your, your plan. And, uh, Father, may we never forget that. Please continue to remind us because we tend to be independent to go our own way so easily, as you know. I pray, Father, that you build a wall of protection around your people and of these in our group here, Father, that you would do that day by day and hour by hour. We're so much in need of your care and your reminders, your, your constant reminders to us of who we are in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we're not of the world. We're in it still, but we're not of it, and uh, therefore we're entirely separate from those who are part of this world system in every way. And uh, I pray, Father, that we wouldn't be unequally yoked together with them, though you also have given us work to do and contacts are many uh, with those who are still uh, in a an unsaved condition. But, Father, I just pray that we would be lights in this darkness. I pray, Father, for our nation and our leaders, especially our president and those who advise him and the cabinet, those who in the government, federal and also local and state, of course, uh, all are important. But, Father, that, that they would set a course that's right for this country and have wisdom far beyond their years. And for some of us, Father, who've been uh, watching carefully what's happening in the world, but more especially in our country, we are so troubled, Father, that our country is turned away from truth to lies, from a culture of life to a culture of death, uh, from the Constitution to just wayward uh, decisions by people who were unelected. And, uh, Father, I, I just pray that you would uh, turn this nation around in the direction that uh, it really ought to go according to your word, according to the Bible, the teaching there. And, uh, Father, I pray that you would use us in that effort somehow 
as we reach out to others. The real issue, of course, is salvation uh, for our people. And we just pray, Father, that there would be those, many in fact, who would be bold for you and carry this truth of grace out uh, into the darkness where so many are living. Father, I just thank you for our meeting today. We look forward to it. I pray that you'd open the scriptures again for us and uh, that uh, your word would be a blessing and that I would speak that which is clear and uh, to the point and true and uh, a blessing to each one. I would ask this in Christ's name, Father. Amen. Okay, well, we continue today. Again, looking at the rapture or the catching up of the body of Christ. And today, we'll look uh, more specifically at the timing of that. The timing of that. Last time we looked into 1 Corinthians 15. You remember we started out by considering what prophecy indicates concerning end times and how God will again at, at an appointed time focus in on his people Israel. Currently, he's not focused on them. He's focused on the Gentiles. Uh, this is the time of the Gentiles, according to Scripture that we live in, uh, not at the time of Israel's dominance, and, which will be a messianic time, of course. Uh, we're not there yet, but eventually, according to prophecy, uh, the Lord will return his focus to Israel. And... Uh, only by seeing what prophecy has revealed can we see the contrasts then with what Paul reveals for the church, which is Christ's body. That's the the um, spiritual entity that we're all a part of as members of the body of Christ today under grace. But what's promised for Israel is that... Uh, the Lord will focus on Israel as a nation and even upon Jerusalem. And after seven years of tribulation, there will be uh, the second coming of our Lord to this earth, and he will establish the long-awaited kingdom. So Christ will be revealed to Israel as their Savior, as their Redeemer, as their Deliverer, their priest and their king and he will rule for a thousand years with a rod of iron <laughs> that indicates that the kingdom will not be a perfect time right uh, there'll be many sinners especially as the 1000 years uh, completes right after generation after generation of children will be born and they will be born with a sin nature and they will rebel against god often and satan will eventually after being released from uh, the pit, he will be bound most of that thousand years, so uh, no one will be able to point a finger at him. He'll be in bondage, but towards the end of the kingdom, he will be released according to, to uh, the book of Revelation, and there'll be a great rebellion and ultimately uh, the great white throne judgment. And uh, so that's what we already looked at last time. We did a quick overview of what, what prophecy indicates. Prophecy indicates a great many things about what God will do in Israel at that time and in Jerusalem. One thing that's critical, though, is that those who 
died with the kingdom hope will have to be resurrected in order to receive that hope, right? It's an earthly hope. They'll have to be resurrected in order to receive that because they've died. But those who are alive and endure to the end of the tribulation period will be received into the kingdom in their natural bodies. That is the hope of those believers that had that kingdom hope, that the Lord would return, establish the kingdom, and that they would be received then into that kingdom to receive their inheritance. So there will be a resurrection before the kingdom of those that died uh, with that hope so that their hope is fulfilled. Okay? Um, we saw in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is uh, a revelation. That's the great resurrection chapter. Of course, it has to focus on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is absolutely fundamental to all resurrections. Uh, Paul writes there in that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection of Christ, fundamental for everything else. And... Uh, the order of the resurrections is given there. The first, the one that's before the kingdom, the one that's at the end of the tribulation before the kingdom, and then the one that's at the end of the kingdom are both mentioned there in First uh, Corinthians 15. Then finally, Paul gets down to the mystery, uh, the, which is the sacred teaching that had been kept secret. This is the teaching regarding the church, the body of Christ. Of course, Church, the body of Christ was itself kept secret, right? It's not part of prophecy. Um, but Paul reveals here as Christ gives him this teaching and he provides it for the churches here in uh, this letter. Uh, and in, in, um, in these verses in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul reveals what that new teaching is. And this is all about a resurrection. How about that? <laughs> it's not one that was mentioned earlier that was part of prophecy. This one was kept secret because it has to do with us. It has to do with grace. It has to do with the body of Christ, uh, of which we're all members, right? And uh, he speaks there concerning the nature of it, not too much about the timing of it, mostly about the nature of it. And he says, uh, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. I'm showing you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Okay, so that is the, the essence of the teaching regarding the uh, rapture of the church, at least as far as those are concerned who have died already at that point, members of the body of Christ who have died, when uh, the rapture occurs, they will be resurrected. And we'll see from First Thessalonians 4, they'll be resurrected before we who were alive at that time are caught up to meet with together with them our Lord Jesus in the air. And after that, uh, of course, enter into heaven's glory. Okay, so um, the nature of it is that uh, not all... Uh, will have to die first in order to receive a resurrection body at that time. Those who are alive will also receive it, right? That's, uh, I would call it translation, right? And a transformation. 
that will occur for those who are alive when Christ calls us to be with him in heaven, right? Um, those who have already died, who are members of the body of Christ, will then be also resurrected at that time. Why? To receive their promised hope, to fulfill their hope, which is a heavenly hope, right? So that's the revelation there in First Corinthians 15. How is that different from what the kingdom say, saints that died before uh, hope for? The difference is very great, right? You could receive your hope without dying first, according to that prophetic message. You could. You could go directly into the kingdom. And uh, Christ taught for three and a half years regarding the, the coming uh, tribulation and entry into the kingdom. And uh, there are many details uh, in, in his teachings there concerning that. We'll mention that again in a moment as we proceed. So there's a revelation according to prophecy, and there's one that was kept secret. That's called by Paul the mystery. One has to do with Israel and their hope. One has to do with the church, the body of Christ, and our hope. Okay, so I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, just remember, though, the key verse there in uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 that applies to us directly, members of the body, is we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So when there's the voice, the call, and the shout to come up into heaven, to leave this earth, to be raptured, caught up, those who have already died will be resurrected first, and we'll meet them in the air. We also will be changed. So we all will have resurrection bodies, of course, as we enter uh, heaven. Uh, that was not the case for those with the kingdom hope. Now, I don't think this is difficult. I hope you see it now as very simple, um, because it is. <laughs> Paul reveals it very, very clearly. We shall not all sleep, meaning die in that case, but we shall all, nevertheless, be changed. Okay? Unique for the church, the body of Christ. Today, I want to continue on. We want to see uh, more about uh, the actual timing of all of this. And uh, and to see that, we need to go to First Thessalonians. And then next time, as we finish up the series on the rapture, to Second Thessalonians, chapter 2. Today, mainly, I want to focus on First Thessalonians, chapter 5. We will look at chapter 4, though. Normally, when the rapture is being taught, the whole focus is on chapter 4. Uh, which is not really appropriate, I don't think, simply because Paul just gives a quick summary and overview there in First Thessalonians 4, but he gives all the details then later in chapter 5 and then in his second letter to Thessalonians. So we'll first look at First Thessalonians 4. We'll see that the rapture is the next thing on God's calendar. Okay? And then when we look in chapter 5 of First Thessalonians, we'll see that Grace and the tribulation are so different, okay? <laughs> There's so much uh, that's different about how God is working today under grace compared to how God will work uh, in the tribulation period. So many things are so different and by necessity different. Uh, we need to see that again here today, and we'll see how that affects the teaching concerning 
the rapture or the catching up of the church. It has a direct effect on that teaching. Okay, so first of all, the rapture or catching up of the church is next on God's calendar. Uh, so to see that, I want to set the context. We'll have to set the context based upon what we saw the last uh, two uh, teachings where we looked at Romans chapter 11. So, uh, Lisa, I want you to read uh, in Romans 11, verses 25 through 27. So we have the, the background, sort of the context of Paul's teaching now uh, as he uh, reveals even more in First Thessalonians chapter 4. So, Lisa, please read for us. Romans 11, 25 to 27. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Thank you, Lisa. Well, so that establishes um, the change that will occur. It will be a dramatic change. It will be a change in every way between how God is working today under grace and the fullness of grace uh, as opposed to how he will work in the tribulation period, right? Uh, God is going to end his ministry of grace as it is today. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be any grace shown anymore, uh, but or mercy for that matter. Uh, after we're raptured, there will be, but 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 the principle will be different for that dispensational period than it is today. Today, it's the abundance of God's grace that characterizes God's work. At that time, it's going to involve a nation and nations, right? It's going to involve the capital of the world. It's going to involve uh, great trials and tribulations that come upon this earth um, specifically to bring Israel, the elect of Israel, to salvation. And that will occur uh, in that seven-year tribulation period. That's not happening today. Today, Israel is not coming to salvation, even though they suffer great uh, things, uh, great trials, great persecution, and so forth down through the centuries, uh, there has been no national salvation. Uh, and, and there won't be in the current dispensation, but that will occur at the end of the tribulation period. Okay, so... That's what Romans 11 says. <clears throat> now, um, let's look at First Thessalonians. Uh, so we, we go from a clear statement that God's going to change the program when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. In other words, when the last person is added to the body of Christ. That's what that's talking about. Once that has occurred, there's no longer any reason for the body of Christ to be on this earth because our purpose here really is... Uh, you might say evangelical. <laughs> uh, we're to be lights in a dark world to bring forth the glorious good news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's our purpose. Okay. Um, now, details as to how this will all occur. 
in First Thessalonians chapter four. Linda, I'd like you to read for us these uh, verses, these critical verses, uh, six verses. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. For the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Thank you, Linda. Okay, that's normally considered to be the central and most critical teaching regarding the rapture of the church, the body of Christ. And uh, it is a very clear, simple statement of what's going to happen. But the main focus here, of course, is on those that have died and uh, how uh, those that are suffering that loss, those who are grieving uh, the loss of loved ones who were believers, right, loved ones who died believing, uh, how they may be comforted. And he says they may be comforted to realize the truth, which is that those that have died are going to be raised from the dead gloriously before we who are living are caught up to meet Christ in the air. And we'll all meet Christ together, right? So that that those that have died are going to be resurrected, those who are still living will be joined together with them is the teaching here. It does not say anything about how this relates to other prophetic times and seasons. That is going to be revealed next uh, in chapter 5. And we'll look at that in detail today. So this is a teaching about the rapture. It's very simple. Uh, he simply makes it clear here, as it says in uh, verse 17, well, verse 16, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That means from wherever they are buried in the entire world, right? They'll be raised from the dead and, and meet up with Christ in the air. And it says then, in other words, after they're raised from the dead, immediately thereafter, because they're in the air assembling together with the Lord, we which are alive and remain, so we who are still alive at that time of the rapture, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that's the end of the story, he says there. So shall we ever be with the Lord, right? <laughs> and with our dear ones who've gone before, right? Now we're together uh, for all eternity. What a comfort that would be to know that. Apparently, false teachers had come into the church at Thessalonica and had taught something quite different. In fact, uh, what they had taught is that some had taught there would be no res general resurrection. <laughs> in other words, uh, 
grieving is appropriate. You grieve just like uh, unbelievers in that case, right? If there's no resurrection, no glory, no heaven yet to come, right? In that case, those that have died have lost everything. Uh, or they had come in and falsely taught uh, the kingdom hope to these uh, members of the body, so that when some had died, then the thought was, well, they're going, they're not going to be resurrected until seven years after we're resurrected, or maybe some taught that there wouldn't be anything but a general resurrection at the end of time, which case it's over a thousand years later. Uh, you can see that sorrow upon sorrow would be the result of believing that teaching, right? Yet that's where many are today. They don't have this teaching because it's not being taught much anymore, right? Churches are given over to the gospel of the kingdom and uh, the gospel of grace and the consequence of, of that and this dispensation of grace are largely unknown today. What a sad, sad thing. I'd say it's disgraceful. You know what I mean. <clears throat> but there's nothing about the timing of it here except uh, the coincidence of the resurrection of believers with the catching up of those that are still alive. That's the only thing about time mentioned here. But now let's go into uh, the next chapter because this is really where the main teaching is that I want us to consider today. Now let me say by way of introduction, you can read commentary upon commentary and, and never uh, find what's going to help you understand these verses. Uh, why not? Well, I, I think it's for the same reason that you can read commentaries on 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and not understand what the mystery is, right? That's because only those who are rightly dividing uh, do see this. It's not visible for anyone else, right? Because they do not understand the distinctiveness of the Pauline teaching. They don't understand he's writing about, primarily about the church, the body of Christ. Now, in the process of doing that, he compares and contrasts often with revelation given for Israel, right? And that's what we're going to see here today as we look at chapter 5. But um, the contrasts are the key, right? Not the similarities. In fact, he's hardly mentioning the similarities. He's focusing on the contrast, the differences. The similarity is we're going to meet the Lord, right? <laughs> so will they <clears throat> at the appointed time, right? That's the similarity. But there are many differences as to the circumstances that apply to that meeting. Okay, so in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 now, um, I want us to, let's just quickly read that. So, Ted, would you start out, please, and uh, and read uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Thank you, Ted. And now, Charlie, would you please continue and read from verses 4 through 8. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. 
Therefore, let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Very, very good. Thank you. Charlie, Patty, would you please read uh, verses 9 through 11? <clears throat> For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also you do. Okay, thank you. Thank you all for reading that precious teaching there in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Well, uh, the most important thing of all to understand from this chapter is that what Paul is doing here is not comparing the lives of individual believers and how they are either spiritual or unspiritual, moral or immoral, mature or immature, this is not about morality here. It really isn't. He does mention that in passing, but what he's really writing about are the times and the seasons, okay? Uh, and he's going to contrast the times and the seasons appointed for Israel with the days in which we live today. He's going to contrast that dispensational period, it's called the Day of the Lord in other places in the Bible, he's going to contrast that with uh, the dispensation of the grace of God. And the, the conditions are different, and the, the whole principle of the working of God is different, and the believer's responsibilities are different. And I hope you can see that today as we look at this very, very carefully. Um, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, he mentions the times and the seasons. Uh, you'll recall if you were with us here uh, in earlier days, I think it was about a, a year ago or so, when we uh, <clears throat> went through the early chapters in the book of Acts, we started out in chapter 1, where, where you see the, the apostles after the resurrection uh, have a, a visitation by the Lord, by the resurrected Lord, and they ask the Lord, uh, is this now when you will establish the kingdom? Because, of course, that was their hope, right? That now that the Lord's been resurrected, there's nothing standing in the way for the kingdom to be established, right? And they would want to be ushered into that. That is the content of their hope for the future, that the kingdom is what had been promised to them. And... Uh, so the Lord says concerning the times and the seasons, it's not for you to understand these matters right now, okay? Because it wasn't the time, but it would be the time eventually, and uh, at some point it will be that very, very time. That is, as I said, called the day of the Lord in other places, like in Zephaniah chapter 1 and in Zechariah chapter 14. It's a time of great trial for Israel and, in fact, the whole world, but it will also be a time of great uh, blessing, a time of great, great blessing uh, for 
God's elect, right? Uh, they will be saved out of great tribulation, is what the Lord reveals. And the prophets reveal the same. Okay, so that's verses 1 and 2. He says, you don't need to know about this. Why not? Well, for two reasons. One is that he already taught them. He says, you already know know this well, right? <clears throat> uh, because he already revealed it. Too bad they had believed what the false teachers had been taught after Paul left Thessalonica, okay? He says, you know perfectly these things about the day of the Lord. Uh, and so what does he say they know? They know that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Okay, that's interesting language. That's exactly what the Lord himself taught. You find it in Matthew 24, in uh, Luke chapter uh, 21, Mark, I think it's chapter 13, and so forth, right? Uh, and there are parables taught about what those days will be like. And the, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And then verse 3 says, When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Okay? So unless you're ready, unless you're waiting, unless you're watching, you're not going to see the signs, you're not going to be able to obey God's command, and you will be caught up in this destruction that's going to come upon them. As it turns out, only believers are going to be watching and waiting and, and able to respond appropriately. The others will be caught up in the trial and the tribulation, and they will, in fact, uh, be lost. But there's a great contrast here, right? So he says, that's the way it is in the times and the seasons for Israel. But let me tell you what it's like uh, for you today. He says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief, for you're all the children, or really the sons, the sons of light and the sons of the day. He says, we are not of the night, nor of darkness. He's talking about being in the tribulation as opposed to not being in it. Okay, He's not talking about the way of life of believers, some appropriate, some inappropriate, some lawless, some lawful, some moral, some not. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, he's talking about living in that time versus living in this time, the time of grace, right? And he calls that time the time of wrath, in fact, even, right? Um, as you'll see in a moment. So he says, brethren, you are not in that darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. He says, we are not of the light nor of darkness, therefore let us not sleep. So the exhortation begins to come there in verse 6, where he says, let us not sleep as others are, let us watch and be sober, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and those that are drunk and drunk in the night, and so forth. But we who are of the day, we're living in a different kind of time, he says. It's the time of light, not the time of darkness. The tribulation will be a time of darkness, not light. Today, a time of light, not darkness, right? We're of the day, says, live accordingly. Now, the key verses are in verses 9 through 11. I want you to see something here. Uh, this is extremely important. What Paul reveals here is part of the sacred secret. It's part of the mystery, though he didn't uh, use that word here. But uh, he is revealing truth that's unique for the body of Christ. 
And so many misunderstand this because they assume that every place the word sleep is found, it refers to death. That's not true. In fact, in the Greek, there are two different words. One refers to death and also that which uh, is used as an analogy, right? Sleeping, right? Uh, and you notice back in First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul uses that word. He says he's talking about those that have slept, right? He's talking about those who have died, right? Not those who are in their beds sleeping at night. He's talking about those who have died, right? Back in the previous chapter. That's a different Greek word than is found anywhere here in chapter 5. Okay? This word in chapter 5 is never used for death. It's never used for death. But it's used very much uh, in, in the exhortations here and in other places. To be alert, to be ready, to be watching, and so forth. Not sleeping, in other words. Not distracted, not carried off with worldly affairs so you don't even know what the Lord is doing today, right? And that's the realm in which many believers are living in. Notice here also that um, he contrasts um, some some different things here. Not only the night and the day is part of the contrast, but also them versus us, them versus us consistently. Them, those that are living in the Great Tribulation period, us we who are of the body of Christ living in the day. Very, very important to see that distinction. He says the one is appointed to wrath, right? They're appointed to wrath because that's the purpose of the Great Tribulation. Uh, that time is a time of trial and tribulation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's when the wrath of God begins to fall upon this earth in judgment, right? Um, so that's uh, true of those living in that time. They will, are appointed to wrath, to the time of wrath, to the time of darkness, to the time of trial, to the time of Jacob's trouble, to the time uh, of the great tribulation period, right? We are not appointed to wrath, he says. In other words, that's not for us today. So we're not living in the same period. Therefore, the rapture must be before that period begins. You understand? It's so crystal clear. Now, the biggest uh, problem in understanding this, though, has to do with this word sleep, I, as I mentioned before, and the word wake, wakefulness, found also here. Uh, we need to understand that Paul is contrasting uh, several different kinds of things here. Okay, When he mentions sleep here, He's not using that word that means that has to do with death. He's using a word that it can uh, never refer to death, but it does refer to sleeping or losing your attention or being distracted or being controlled by drugs or alcohol. He mentions the drunkenness, in fact, as an example of that, right? Um, they that sleep, verse 7, sleep in the night. They that are drunken are drunken in the night, right? <laughs> but we who are of the day, there's no reason ever to be drunken or asleep, not in our case, right? Um, because we're living in the day. Okay, now, um, in verse 9, he says, we're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. That's, in fact, a 
direct reference to the rapture, that salvation he mentions there. And he says, by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That is an amazing statement there. Okay. (laughs) Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That word wake has already been translated watch up above, okay, (laughs) in the same section, verse 6, okay? Too bad the translators didn't use the same word here. So, you know, who died for us that whether we are watching or sleeping, in other words, distracted entirely by the affairs of this world, whichever way it is, he says, we will live together with him. In other words, you're not going to miss the rapture because you're distracted. In the tribulation period, those who are distracted will miss everything. Remember the parable of the ten virgins? Perfect example of that. They had to watch and be ready and prepared and obedient until the end, or they would be cast out into the area of gnashing of teeth, right? In other words, they all, they, they lost out altogether in, uh, their, what they had assumed they had, which was salvation, which in fact they didn't have at all. Okay. So what Paul is saying is that there's a, there's a truth for us today. And the exhortation here is based upon this teaching that we have been granted an eternity. If heaven, in heaven's glory, simply on the basis of our faith. Okay? No works are involved, no watching, hoping, waiting, no testing, nothing. He's talking, I can't hear you. Nothing is required uh, of us for us to enter into heaven's glory. I hope you see that here. He died for us, that whether we wake or are watching, same Greek word, or sleep, meaning distracted, caught up in other matters, whatever, not seeing uh, what we should see, not living the way we should live. Nevertheless, we'll live together with him eternally because the rapture is guaranteed to all those who are members of Christ's body. So seeing the Greek words behind this helps to understand it. I think if you don't don't see that, it's harder, much harder. Um, so we're not looking for signs and wonders today. We're not looking for signs in the heavens today to prove that the return of the Lord is near. There aren't any promise for us. The next thing on our horizon is the catching up into heaven's glory. Uh, I would say praise the Lord to this. What a glorious teaching this is. You see, Paul reveals here the principles of God's working uh, in the tribulation period in contrast to what we uh, understand for today. They're very, very different indeed. Matthew 24 and 25 do not apply to you today. That's for those living in the tribulation period. You can see the differences. It's very great. The contrast is very clear. Hope you see it. If you don't, uh, take the notes from today and study. I put a lot of extra verses in there in the notes to help you see exactly uh, what these contrasts are. Okay? 
So uh, that's where I'd like to stop today. I'd like to just say that uh, we should be encouraged, realizing that resting in the glory of God's grace is where God wants us, you know, receiving, therefore, his blessings day by day, hour by hour, right? And listening for the shout and uh, desiring his appearing, right? That is where we need to be today. The blessed hope, the rapture, the catching up in the heaven's glory is the next thing on our horizon. Father God, thank you for opening the word for us today. I pray that we would see clearly what's written. And Paul here in chapter 5 is underscoring what went in chapter 4 and, uh, and <clears throat> giving the whole rationale behind it and uh that uh, we need to forget the chapter division and just <laughs> keep it all together in our minds and in our hearts. Father, please teach us, strengthen us in our hearts, build us up, encourage us by these precious words and these promises, Father. And then we would thank you in Christ's name. <laughs>